Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. The last on Tuesday we did a Psalm that was very painful as we talked about the evil of so the tyrants and um, dictators and the ones who displace people from their homes. Today I want to talk about something else, another evil, but this evil actually infiltrates the church. So it's not external, it's not about rulers and tyrants, but it's about an evil within the church. I want to speak about Psalm on Psalm 73. Now take two sessions for this. Psalm 73 has 28 verses and can be divided into two parts. The first is on the temptation, the lure of what wicked people do and the how they live and the prosperity that the wicked have. And then the second part from verse 15 onwards, it talks about the psalmist coming to terms with reality and seeing the truth. So today I'll do from verse 1 to 14, but I'll read the entire psalm to give you a feel of what the psalm is about. So let's turn to Psalm 73 and let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that instructs us teaches us the way to live. We pray then that we will be attentive to your word, that we will allow your word to govern our lives. Because Lord, in you is great wisdom. We ask then, speak to us as we read this psalm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had almost lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I sought prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From the calloused hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the high, most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This psalm was written by a man named Asaph. Now Asaph was a court official and he was an assistant choir director in a sense. He was an assistant musician to the chief musician called Heman. Asaph was in charge of the choirs, church choirs during the time of King David and into the time of King Solomon. In fact, he was the one who arranged for the celebrations of the building of Solomon's temple. So you could describe Asaph as an insider into the whole temple institution. He was like the assistant or the deputy choir director. Well, he was the choir director and he was the deputy to the music pastor. Now, what Asaph, Asaph's entire life was spent inside the temple. And so almost all of his experiences were within the temple institution. And what then he observes about his life, about his temptations, come from his experiences within the temple. In a sense, you get this inside story of what it feels like to be a pastor, a church worker, someone within the religious institution. And that's very insightful. Because what happens in the temple or what happens in the church will often flow out to influence how we live outside in our worlds. You know, it's strange that we, that the church actually has a lot of influence on how we behave outside the church. And what this psalmist then tells us, gives us is an inside picture of what the temple or what the church really is like and the temptations that those who live and work in it experience. The psalmist says in verse 2 that, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, Asaph was not bitter against the wicked or the arrogant. Unlike in Psalm 137, where there was great bitterness against the Babylonians, Asaph wasn't saying that he was bitter against the arrogance or the prosperity of the wicked. He was envious of them, meaning that he almost became like them. It was so alluring, the wickedness and the prosperity of the wickedness was so alluring that he almost lost his foothold and sold himself or got bought over by the prosperity of the wicked. Here was a man who was not angry with the wicked, but he was tempted and he was drawn by the goodness, the happiness, the carefreeness of the wicked. Now we think about that then, that's a huge temptation for any pastor of worship especially, but any pastor or any church leader and by extension any manager or CEO of any company, of any kind of work. And this we need to pay attention because it was not resentment but it was luring, alluring. Why? Why was it so alluring for Asaph? Why was the prosperity and arrogance of the wicked so alluring? Verse 4, it says that they have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they're free from common human burdens, they're not plagued by human ills. One of the things we know about wealth is that the wealthy have far less 
physical problems. Having worked with the very poor, I've realized too that the one of the one thing that accompanies poverty is illness. And it's not just one kind of illness, often it's an illness that pervades the entire family. And it's hard to understand, and yet it is possible to understand, because they don't have the resources to treat. I've seen a family with several children with Down syndrome, others malnourished, yet others with addictions. And it's as though the whole family is plagued by, by human burdens and by illness. Not so with the rich. When you can afford lots of resources, I had a friend whose child was, young child was suddenly paralyzed. Overnight, they flew him over to the States, had him treated. He came back still paralyzed, but they had so much resources. There was a private swimming pool and they allowed the son to practice swimming. And right now, he's paralyzed below the waist, but he's so active, um, so able to carry on with life. I don't see that kind of thing among the poor. If someone had the same issues, they would probably allow the person to continue in his illness and be paralyzed and bedridden for the rest of his life. That's a big difference between the rich and the poor. And so as the psalmist looked at the carefreeness, the resources that the rich had and how they were not plagued by human ills, it was something that they, what he would have wanted so much. But that's nothing wrong with that. All of us would want the same kind of resources. But we move on. In verse 6, he says that pride is their necklace and clothe themselves with violence. One of the things he noticed about the temple officials, the corrupt temple officials, was that they heaped pride, they heaped honour upon themselves. We see this in ecclesiastical circles, that we have a hierarchy, you have a bishop and president and district superintendents and you have senior pastors and you have pastors and you have assistant pastors there is a pecking order but it's not about just the pecking order that we have created for ourselves in some of the more ecclesiastical churches like the catholic church it's so high up that the bishops and the pope have almost un unstoppable power and yet the present bishop the present Pope is a very different person. He's humble. He refuses to travel in his Pope mobile and he goes down to the poor. What do people say of him? They laugh at him. They are threatened by him. They don't think that he should be a Pope like this. The more power we amass as ecclesiastical people, or the more power and violence that we amass even as managers, as CEOs, the easier the life we have. You see, when you make yourself very, very unapproachable, when everyone is terrified of you, you have very much less problems. They don't bring their problems to you. They simply avoid you and try to comply. And so what Asaph saw of the high-ranking temple officials was that they wore their pride, they adorned themselves with pride like a necklace. They were proud of being proud. They were proud of being high stuff, high standing. They were proud of having people below them looking up to them and listening to them and not daring to dispute with them. And they even boast. They clothe themselves with violence. They even boast that they can command people with loud voice. They can scream at people and make them obey. 
From the callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil imaginations have no limits. When there is no boundary for your power, then comes the temptation to do whatever you like and believe that you are above the law. They scoff, verse 8, they scoff and speak of malice, of arrogance, they threaten oppression. But in verse 9 and verse 10, it's a very interesting one that's so true to life. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. What this, par- this um, paragraph says is that they lay claim to heaven. They talk about godly things. They, can, they seem to have the power of heaven. That they have the mandate of God themselves. That whatever they say, they claim that God says, people will listen. And so they claim to have heaven. They have power over heaven and eternal life as well as power on earth. Think of the preachers who talk about prosperity, about giving, and how we listen to them. And they lay claim to both heaven and earth about eternal life and life and joy on earth. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, their tongues take possession of the earth. And the sad point is that people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Many, many people will be fooled by them. They will speak of heaven and they will speak of earth and prosperity on earth. And people will run to them. We think of the many churches where people run to pastors who preach heresies, pastors who preach things that go against Christ, pastors who arrogate themselves. And the more power they amass for themselves, the more people seem to comply with them and adore and worship them. It is a reality and it is very alluring that some time ago I read a short interview of a young man who was asked what his ambition was. He was a member of a mega church. And he says, I want to be a pastor because as a pastor, people listen to me and I'll have all the luxuries that I have I can turn to one and scold them and rebuke them and they will listen. I will command another to do whatever I want them to and they will listen to me. This young man had learned, had modelled after his senior pastor who had behaved like this. Their word was authority. And he then saw that this was the way to live. I have full command, I have control over people, I have power and authority. Whatever I say, People will do whatever I want. People will give. At the end of the day, they ask themselves, does God really know? If this is the way these pastors behave, then maybe it's true that that's the way it should be. And so the psalmist's conclusion is this. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. This psalmist realized that if he were not to be like the wicked, his life would not be so carefree. He would have problems, he would have people bringing problems to him, he would have people having conflicts with him, people fighting with him, disagreeing with him. He would have so many problems every day. Why would I want to live like this? 
Why wouldn't I rather be like the wicked and oppress others and boast of heaven and earth and have everything I want? You know what Asaph is teaching is very true to life for all of us, for me as a pastor, for those of my colleagues who work in church. It is very true even to church leaders, but it's equally true to those among you who are in management and wonder what management style you should adopt. You see, at the end of the day, the church does influence choices of our lives. And we need to choose the right church to be in. Will it be a church that abuses, the church that wears pride and arrogance as a necklace and clothes itself with violence? A church that threatens eternal damnation for personal gain? A pastor then who tells people things of earth and lays claim to the earth. Is that the kind of church that we want? Or would we then, though it's difficult, place Christ as our model? What a shepherd, what a leader of the church ought to be like. Would we then allow Christ to take center place in our vision of what the church should be like? Not one that dictates, not one that abuses, but one who sacrifices his life for his people. If we take that as the model, then we as pastors and church leaders and church staff need to model ourselves like Christ as well. That though our lives may not be so easy, though we may have to bear the burdens of many others, though we will suffer more, Yet, if we stick faithfully to Christ, then it must trickle down. But this will have influence on each of you as church members also. Because each of you is a manager of sorts in your own world. You could be the CEO of a company. Or you could be lower management, middle management. You may have a few people that you supervise. But almost all of us are managers. Even if you're a homemaker, you manage your children. You sometimes manage your household and there will be people under your authority. As long as we are people of some authority, this psalm means much to us. Because we sometimes we look at different styles of authority, exercise of authority. We could be authoritarian. We could scream at people and demand that everyone follow our way and listen to us makes life a lot easier because you are always angry and always grumpy. Everyone is scared of you and therefore no one dares to cross the line. You have it really good. And that's very tempting. We could also threaten with violence. We could threaten with dismissing someone. We could threaten with our voices. If we could adopt that, then life would be so much easier as well. We could also threaten with the Bible as we say, well, you listen to me. Otherwise, because the Bible says you listen to me, we could throw the Bible at people and throw the book at them. This happens often in the homes when we threaten our children, when husbands threaten their wives, and we use the Bible for that. That is such a tragedy. Or we could resist that temptation and allow those we work with authority whom we above whom we have authority speak to us 
life will be more difficult. And so we do have a choice. And on, third, and on Tuesday, we will talk about the consequences, how the psalmist came to his senses, how he realized that though those who exercised authority powerfully and abused it an in an authoritarian way, seemed to have less trouble, that destiny is something else. So let us look at the type of authority that we want to follow, the type of God we want to obey, and then the type of authority we want to exercise over others. And as we reflect on this then, let us be careful not to allow our feet to slip and to lose our foothold. Let us pray. Father, you've given all of us authority whether spiritual authority as in a pastor or a church preacher or church staff, or whether it is the authority of a husband or a father, or the authority of a boss or a manager or a supervisor, you have given us authority. But Father, we are often tempted to slip because we see the prosperity of the wicked the ones who abuse their positions, the ones who accumulate power unto themselves. In God, they seem to have fewer problems. They seem to have everyone eating off their hands and bowing at their feet. Father, we ask that you teach us your ways. We ask that you place Christ before our eyes, that daily as we exercise our power and our authority, you have given to us, that we may have Christ right before our eyes, the Christ who loved us, who gave his life for us, the Christ who laid his life before his disciples and always led them with love, the Christ who cared far less about his own interests, far more for that of his disciples and his subordinates. Keep Christ before our eyes, Lord, as we make decisions each day, as we exercise authority each day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I hope to see you again on Sunday. And just a word of caution, if you are vulnerable, if you feel that you'd rather be safe, if you live with vulnerable people like children who are not vaccinated or very senior parents or you yourself are senior, then please join us to worship online. But if you can, then come and join us to worship on site. This Sunday we have Lakeside to someone, a director from Lakeside to share the word with us and to share a testimony. And you know our partnership with Lakeside, we want to get it as close, much closer. So let's come join us online, join us on site as we worship the Lord together and as we listen to what Lakeside Family Service Centre is doing and how we may partner with them. God bless you. Goodbye.